The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. Welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger. Today we're talking with my friend, Sean Blanchard. From crack baby to author, speaker, and mentorship specialist, he has succeeded in spite of his upbringing and managed to evolve into an upstanding gentleman and an inspirational leader to many. Today we're going to talk about how we find mentors, a systematic approach to leveraging mentorship, and why mentorship is not about making rock stars, but making people better than they would have been without you. And I thought the show was really interesting. We did it in person here in Detroit. And while I was there, he got calls from both of his brothers, both in prison, one in state and one in federal, and a city councilwoman making sure he was ready for a celebrity basketball game. So he really does have one foot in both worlds. Enjoy this one with Sean Blanchard. And with that, welcome to The Art of Charm. We bring together the best thought leaders, teachers, and exceptional individuals to teach you how to be a top performer in life, love, and at work. If you're new to the show, we'd love to send you some top episodes and the toolbox where we discuss body language and nonverbal communication, persuasion, networking, negotiation, and everything else we teach here at AOC. In the U.S., just text CHARMED to 33444. That's C-H-A-R-M-E-D to 33444. And everywhere else, go to theartofcharm.com. We may not have all the answers, but we definitely have all the right questions. All right, here's Sean Blanchard. So even right before we start, you're getting a message from your oldest brother that's in, is it federal prison? Right, he's in federal prison. And he's asking you to go grab his car, and he's asking you to move some stuff. So you're going to University of Michigan. You're already a little bit different than everybody. I mean, you're growing up in this really kind of weird, unusual way that not a lot of people can maybe identify with. Yeah, definitely. How does that affect you? Because it seems like you've got one foot in all of this mess that you grew up in, and you've got another foot. And you're maybe looking forward in a different direction, but it seems like it would weigh you down. Well, you know what? It's, it's kind of like this. A lot of times, even as we ask some questions here about growing up and different things of that nature, what you'll realize is that you know, when you're in a particular environment, you don't know anything else. It's just Tuesday. It's just Tuesday. Yeah. Right? yeah. So to everyone else, they're like, oh, my God. But to you, it's like it's Wednesday. What's the problem? And it actually makes you a very strong person mentally just to be able to esteem a number of different things, which is why I went into the type of work that I went into. But we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll point. get to that. And it's interesting for me because we both went to Michigan and I'm thinking you go to a school like that, you just assume everybody grew up in a similar way. Right. I could have been sitting next to you in that class we were talking about game theory where I didn't understand anything that was going on. <laughs> I would have had no idea that you grew up in this very different environment. Tell me about how you grew up. You had a 
a completely different life than probably than most people listening right now. Yeah. So even starting from the bottom, I mean, I was born with drugs in my system and I was given to my grandparents because my mother and father, they couldn't really decide who was going to keep me. And I have seven brothers, you know, three of them now are deceased. Three of them have been to prison. My oldest brother is currently serving a life sentence and is uh, allegedly one of Detroit's most notorious drug lords. You know, my mom, she was a professional shoplifter, God rest her. And that's what she did by profession. It was interesting about it. A lot of times people could think that, oh, wow, so she did drugs or she did that. Oh, wow. So she must have been one of those people with white lips scratching her neck. Yeah, that's kind of what I envision when you hear drug addict or somebody who had a baby with drugs in his system. Yeah, right, right. But we never think about Wolf on Wall Street. That's true. Yeah, that's a good point. And my mom, she was a beautiful woman, always had like a Cadillac or a Lincoln and wore mink coats. But she had fun how she had fun. Yeah. She was a very interesting person who didn't finish high school and just live a very extremely interesting life who lived off of shoplifting. So, I mean, you come up in an environment where, I mean, by the time I was 11, I was selling crack. 11 years old. Yeah, 11 years old. And who teaches you how to sell crack when you're 11? Do you remember this process? Yeah, absolutely. So my older brother, uh, Mike, my older brother, Mike, he's unfortunately deceased. He was killed in a drug transaction when I was 14 and his twin was already deceased. But when I was 11, I was curious. You know, I saw him doing what he was doing when I was seven. I was hip to what he was doing when he was 14. So I was just like, wow. And I saw him literally in the summer save up enough money to buy a Camaro. Which is something that most of us listening right now still could not do. <laughs> right. Even if you work at a law firm, you'd have a hard time buying a Camaro with the money you earned over the summer. Right, right. I sat there and saw him save and do that. And I saw that when I was like seven. So by the time I got 11 years old and I would see him actually creating a product, I walked in on him and I was just curious. Mm-hmm. And it's a matter of this. He knows how he was when he got wind of the product. And so it was more so like, you know what, I can either teach him or he's going to go out there and try to figure something out. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So my brother showed me how, kept me safe because he kept it with him until he passed on when I was 14. So it sounds weird to even say this, but at that point, knowing that you're either going to go out and figure out how to make crack yourself and get in trouble doing it, or he's going to teach you almost one of the more responsible options and I know I'm going to get email about this, but one of the more responsible <laughs> options is essentially to make sure that you do it in a, in a way that doesn't get you killed, at least keeps you somewhat safe. What does it look like when he's out doing that? Is he, you see him out on the street just hanging out and then it looks like he's not doing that much work and he comes back with a stack of cash. I mean, what got you interested in it? Just the Camaro? I mean, you must have seen the day to day at some level. Yeah, I did see the day to day. And the interesting thing was initially what I saw was the gold chain. You know, I would see the car. I would see his interaction with the ladies and how everybody liked him. He just is such a likable, charismatic guy. So he was just a cool guy to emulate. Once I actually saw him and I saw the baggies and I saw what he was doing and he showed me, I'm like, dude, what is this? People buy this? Mm -hmm. He's like, yeah, man. And he just told me all about it. And I saw him on the bike going up and down the block, people stopping him, him just selling this stuff until he got a car. And then when he got his car, he would actually just drive around and people would flash their lights at him or page him on his pager and he'd make his connections. We'd go in houses and we'd give people what they need, exchange for money all the time. And to me, I'm just like, listen, 
look, if you go to someone, you give them something, they give you money. Mm-hmm. That's a good, that's a good scenario. That's a business, right? right? You yeah. know, it's like, we just left out of here in a matter of moments. He has $5,000. I don't see people make that in months. Right. So right. it was a matter of saying like, wow, that was pretty darn awesome. And he's doing this type of thing every single day. Right. Especially when you're seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, you're not thinking mm, this does harm to society as a whole, we probably shouldn't do this. Right. There's no calculation. Quite frankly, I, you don't really care. Yeah. You know, it's like you watch movies like Menace to Society. You think about like, look, this is how people are sustaining themselves. And you look at even the good things that they'll do. Like he's taking care of his family. Mm-hmm. He's taking care of like a lot of people in the family. He's like a very kind person. It doesn't look like he's hurting anybody. And the people that want to purchase it, they want it. They're right. not, he's not forcing them to do it. So it was a matter of, I was like, wow, it's the law of economics, it's supply and demand. So, right, there's no calculation and you didn't really care because, you know, you're watching these movies and things like that. But knowing that your mom also indulged in substances, was there any part of you that said, well, this makes my mom do things that I don't like. Maybe we shouldn't make other people's moms do things we don't like. Or was that just way off in the distance? It was more like this. You know, my brother would say, well, you don't get high off your own supply. Mm-hmm. So it was a matter of like, not that, oh, we shouldn't do this to others, but mom, what the hell are you doing? Right. You know, so like you should know better than that, but not necessarily stop anybody else from doing it. It's not like I grew up in a family that went to church all the time and had all these morals or anything like that. It was more so survival of the fittest. And like I said, again, it's just Tuesday. It's just Tuesday. Yeah. So you're born with drugs in your system. Do you have brothers and sisters at this? Or, sorry, you have brothers and sisters at this point. You saw your parents in the same room one time. Right. Your whole childhood. When, when was that? It was actually at my father's funeral. So your parents in your childhood existence, your parents are actually never together. No. No. My mom, she glorified my father, though. And I look just like him. So every time that she would see me, it was always, oh, my God, you look just like your daddy. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, you look just like your daddy. Whenever I would see him, he never mentioned her. <laughs> oh, really? What did that do to the balance of your parents' relationship in your own mind? That must have been really strange. Like, hey, you know, your mom is really into your dad, but your dad doesn't think twice about it. That must have at some level shaped the way that you viewed your own relationships. Well, you know what? I think what happened with my father, he had a whole another family. So he was married. Him and my mom were together. Then after me, he moved on. You know, he got married. He had a kid and everything. So rightfully so, he didn't talk about her because sure. he has a wife. So I didn't see it as anything like some type of injustice or malice on his behalf. I just saw like, you know what? That's good. He's not talking about this woman all the time because you're yeah. freaking married, dude. <laughs> right? Sure. In that way, it probably changed the way you viewed your mother a little bit. Because at this point, you're starting to become cognizant of the fact that she steals for a living has a drug issue and kind of has a weird one-sided relationship with your dad. Who's raising you? Yeah. So I was with my grandparents. I was with my grandmother was the primary caretaker, which is my father's mother. Interesting woman. Love her with all of my heart, mind and fiber. Unfortunately, she died when I was 12 years old. You can't catch a break at this point. Your role models are all bad. Would you agree with that or is is that too harsh? You know what? I, I like to say, like, you know, the way I look at it, I didn't really view them as bad. You know, even my mom, I looked at her as an entrepreneur, you know, so it, <laughs> I guess technically that could be true. You know, yeah. I really looked at people. What I would do is I would just abstract the good from them. So for my mom, she was a hustler. She was an entrepreneur. It wasn't just everything was just very not conventional. But I just looked at my brother and I'm like, man, he has his own hustle 
And so he doesn't do what mom does. So I guess that means we should all be creative and we don't have to all do the same thing. Mm -hmm. So it kind of, and everyone says, you're smart, Sean, keep going to school. So in my mind, that's a bit of my hustle. How long were you doing the drug dealing thing while you were being raised by your grandma? At what point did your aspirations change from, I want to be a drug dealer like my brother to, I want to do something else. I want to get an education. I want to change this. They move, you know, simultaneously for quite a while. So what you have is, I mean, I was always in the honors classes. I was always on the honor roll. That's just I did interesting things after school. And after my grandmother died when I was 12 years old, I didn't have any rules anymore. So at that point, you know, I could leave Monday, come back Thursday. My grandfather, he didn't mind. He was a good guy, but he he wasn't into like rearing kids like that. Yeah. And you get to the point where when I was 14 years old, that's when my brother died. A couple of weeks later, my dad died. A few months later, my oldest brother, Terry, was shot by the police and then went to prison. Wow. You know, my grandmother's gone. My brother is in prison. My other brother was murdered in a drug transaction. His twin is gone. My father is gone. You know, I don't have any rules at this point. What I had, those were like all my caretakers. Yeah. So what I had at that point, I do have five sisters as well. What I had at that point, as far as a driving force, I had my younger brother and I'm 15 and he's 10. And so at that point, I didn't have rules. Nobody went to parent-teacher conference for me, but I was going for him. So you started to raise your younger brother. When I was 15. When you were 15. Right. Were you still selling drugs at this point to make ends meet? Absolutely. So I did a, yeah, it was all types of scams. You're going, (laughs) I'm trying to sort of put these things together. So you're doing, it's like you're, you got to leave parent-teacher conferences early because you're getting paid. Somebody wants some. (laughs) <laughs> Some Was it crack at this point? It was weed at that point. Weed at that point, okay. Yeah. Jewelry scams, weed, it was whatever kind of hustles, all kind of different hustles. Like I said, like I would see my brother and I would see my mom and I would say, you know what, they're doing things in a very interesting way mm-hmm. so I can do things in my interesting way. So I didn't necessarily do exactly what they did. Right. I'd even get a job at like Red Lobster, but on payday, I would bring weed with me. Right. So all the guys who worked there yeah. would spend some of their pay. I'm not going to stand on the corner like all these other chumps ridiculous guys right (laughs) not gonna do that you're not changing clothes that's crazy yeah it's a matter of like i'll just go to work and on payday i'll get paid yeah you just doubled your payday weed delivery to red lobster right (laughs) so (laughs) and so it's a matter of uh and the cool the i think one of the coolest things was i didn't have the rules but i gave my younger brother rules how did you even know how to do that well you see and that's the thing so you know i grew up so fast right and it was a matter of always knowing I'm smart and everybody telling me I'm smart, always hustling, always being more so the go-to guy. People have questions, ask Sean. Like, you know, if I'm in school, it's like you're in student government, you're in the debate team. And it's like, you know, you're doing all these things and you're the go-to guy. Your younger brother asks you this, you're the fresh guy, the cool guy, the prom king guy, the honor roll guy. And after school, you're hustling because you've seen people do it. So you understand it. I was a bit ahead of my time. I'm fathering a kid, right? Right. So the rules that I gave to him, I followed those so that he would follow me. And so those rules were, it was very easy. It's just three of them. One, go to school, get good grades. Second thing is get girls. That was a rule? It's a rule. Why was that a rule? Well, it was more of an unspoken rule of cool. Okay. So it's like, and number three, get money. But the thing was for him, it was like, you know, that was on pause for you because it'll yeah. go through me. But those are my rules that I have about how I'm going to move things forward.
Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people, because they're all gonna give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash charm. Just go to indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to kajabi.com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. Thanks for listening and supporting the show. Now, let's get back to Sean Blanchard. I was all impressed with your parenting, <laughs> and then I heard the <laughs> rules, so I take it back. Yeah, I, you know, yeah. I, no, but for real, I applaud that you stepped up to raise your brother. That seems highly unusual. I don't know many 15-year-olds that would be like, oh, well, this is my job now. I have to do this. I don't think that's common. Well, you know what? So what I saw with my brother, Mike, at 14, I saw him really taking care of business for the family as he saved up money and did his thing. My brother died before he was 21 years old. And he was like the breadwinner on my mother's side of the family. So to me, the concept of who's in control, who calls the shots, 
I didn't see age on that that mandated what you do, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm 11, 12 years old driving across the country for my mom on shoplifting excursions. So the whole concept of right, wrong, age limits, where, what is that? Are you uh, even killing the mind? Are you intelligent enough? Are you fit for whatever you're doing at the moment? That's the only thing that really mattered. So by the time, you got to imagine by the time I'm going to college, I'm a grown man. I'm 17. Right. I'm going to Michigan. And it's a matter of, you know, my peers are excited that they get free time. And I'm like, dude, is your homework done? Sit down. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's just a matter of really being focused on what my hustle was. My hustle was school. So when did I shift, right? Yeah. And like I said, it was simultaneous, but at some point it has to cut off, right? So I'll tell you, while we were at Michigan together in 2001, November 19th, I actually got caught for some illegal activity with jewelry in Ann Arbor. So basically, uh, I got caught up and I was on the news. The police pulled us over right there on North Campus. It was uh, pretty interesting, man. It was the Bursley Bates bus was driving past the, the engineering building. You know where these things are. Yeah. I had like 10, 15 squad cars all around the car that we were in, and I was going to jail. So somebody told on you, or how did that happen? Yeah, so what happened was there were some guys, and this is all in the book. There were some guys that would steal jewelry, right? But it's a question of, if you're going to steal jewelry, who are you going to sell it to? You can steal a $40,000 diamond, but who are you going to? Right. Not not somebody living in South Quad right, you who's know? trying to get a meal card to eat. Right. And I mean, these guys were from Detroit. So these guys, not someone in South Quad, not someone in the hood where I grew up, that's not going to happen. So they need to know some people with some money. I knew a lot of people with a lot of money. Did you meet them at college? Nah. These were people that I knew from back home that were heavy hitters mm-hmm. in the drug game and different things of that nature. Just from doing what I was doing in high school, I knew a lot of people. So you still have one leg in that world. You still got one leg or another leg looking forward. Yeah, and I'm I'm on the honor roll at Michigan. Yeah. Right. Which so. I was not. So you're on the honor roll getting arrested, and I'm not on the honor roll at study hall trying to figure out game theory, which is a class that you cruise through. Yeah, man. <laughs> so, so what's interesting, actually, I had the network. We can look at Malcolm Gladwell, and he talks about connectors. Yeah. And I was a connector. And what I would do is I had the product, and I also had the demand from the people who had the money. And what I would do is I would connect the two. And I mean, you can sell this $40,000 diamond for 10000 to these guys. Now you have to give me 2000 and they're going to give me 2500 when they go sell it for thirty. Right. So it's a matter, of, it's a matter of a phone call. I make money. So, yeah. So you're literally, this is arbitrage. So you could have done this with grain, oil, water. Exactly. Any kind of commodity. But instead, because of where you grew up and the people that you knew, you did it with stolen jewelry. And I was at Michigan majoring in math and economics. Yeah. That is unbelievable. How did you find good mentors, good examples? Well, you know, I think something that was interesting that took place was while I was at Michigan and that situation happened, it was at that point that I was in that cell and I saw myself uh, on the news. You saw yourself on the news from the jail cell? Right. So there was a, a TV in the distance. When I saw that image of myself, I've never thought that that would be me. I thought I was pretty much invincible because I lived this double life. Right. Yeah. I'm in Michigan now. You know, all of my schemes are kind of working out. Right. And so it was at that point, I actually said the realest prayer that I said to date, to date at that time. And I had read like a Bible that was sitting on the counter that was in the cell. Again, I didn't grow up like that, but it was a a new modern translation. Mm -hmm. And so if God is real, he's going to let me get out of here. And I'll, I vow to make sure that, 
young people don't end up in situations like this. What happened when you got back to school? They must have been like, hey, you can't keep doing criminal stuff while you're enrolled in our economics program. Nobody ever said anything. Nobody said anything. Professors were trying to bail me out. Really? Because they knew it was a waste of potential to have you go sit in jail. Yeah, I mean, nobody ever knew that side of me, right? So again, I'm in high school on a debate team, student government, and I get to college and it's like I have above 3.0. Like I'm involved, I'm doing tours around campus for people, you know? Yeah. So I wasn't a bad kid. I was just into some things that I shouldn't have been into. I was exposed to things that I shouldn't have been exposed to in the first place. How did you start to realize that the people you were around were not good examples to follow? Or did you always know? Well, you kind of always know that, but it's a matter of, are they getting caught? Mm-hmm. Because if you don't really have a huge moral responsibility, you really don't care. Right. But I think the first dose of the most positive person besides my grandmother who listened to hardcore was a high school counselor that I had. Her name was Miss Champion. And she actually graduated from Michigan. She was in a sorority and she was gorgeous. And so, you know, while I was in high school, she began to tell me that, you know, I was smart. I was going to be a Michigan man. And she knew some things that I was doing. So she always checked my report card because nobody mm-hmm. was checking anymore. Because of her, that's why I went to Michigan. I didn't know anything about college. Sure. Yeah. Who would have told you about college? I Nobody. mean, in my high school, we, this is a random high school in the west side of Detroit. This wasn't. This is not a charter school. Yeah. Yeah. This is not cast tag. Not at all. That's where my dad went, by the way. But, and what's cool is that, you know, Detroit does have some good schools such as Cass Tech, right? Mm-hmm. And even today it's still a really good school, but that just wasn't what I was around. So to be able to even go to the University of Michigan from my high school was a big deal. But I just didn't conceive that. I didn't understand that until I got there and figured it out where I was. I didn't know. Yeah. Was there a realization one day where you were like, this is a big deal? <laughs> I was at the Summer Bridge program and I remember... They were talking to us about Michigan and they were just saying how the average student here has a 3.9 GPA. From high school. Yeah, not me. (laughs) And a 32 of the ACT. Oh my God. And so I was just like, wow, okay. And they were like, you are the presidents of this and that and la la la. And when I began to talk to some of the peers, if they were in student government like I was, they were like, I was a president and I raised $350,000 for this and that. Or they would say something like, if they were on the debate team, yeah, uh, we won nationals. Wow. Did you feel outgunned at that point? Like, what am I doing here? You know what? I felt a bit outgunned. Yeah. You know, but like any scenario, I kind of felt like, you know what? This just calls for me because, again, I was still a good student, a good kid, a good leader. Yeah. And it was just like, oh, okay, I'm here for a reason. Front of action definitely helped me out. Yeah. But I was like, you know what? I'm here for a reason. My first semester, I had all A's. And a B plus. Not bad. That's better than when I got my first semester of college. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> How do we find mentors? It almost sounds like you got lucky and you had that counselor. What if I'm listening right now and thinking, well, I don't have a counselor? You know what's so good about that? So this is George, my book. How about that for a crack baby? Keys to mentorship and success. I leverage mentorship to get me where I am today. And it was kind of like the universe aligned with me initially with Miss Champion, right? Mm-hmm. But beyond that, once I got out of jail, I was only there for three days and three nights, resurrected like Christ on him. Right? <laughs> Get the hell out. Right? Yeah. Once I got out of there, I began to cut off the dead weight and I began to look towards, okay, I need to take advantage of these people that I'm around here. 
So I began to not only just have mentors, but friend tours. I had all these people that came from all these interesting backgrounds and their parents do all this really cool stuff and they knew why they were in school. So I began to take advantage of my peer group, friend tours. And then from there, what I started to do from a mentor standpoint, there were all these people that already liked me and they're already saying like, hey, if you ever need anything. Yeah. But a lot of young people just don't take advantage of it. No, I can count on one hand the number of times before I started actively developing networking skills where somebody says, hey, if you ever need anything, let me know. That's almost like, hey, we should hang out sometime. And exactly. you're just like, whatever, man, it's never going to happen. Exactly. It's like somebody saying, hey, how's your day? And they really don't care. You're yeah. talking in passing, right? Right. But that's not passing conversation with a lot of adults. When a lot of adults say that, they're actually being genuine. Just a lot of people don't take advantage of it. Sure. And if they, you do take advantage of it, people are open and willing and ready to help you out, especially when you're a person, a young person that's actually already trying to do something positive. Sure. People want to help you. Yes. So what I began to do is take advantage of all of those relationships and conversations and even spark those conversations myself. Fast forwarding to right now, I mean, you've, you run your own networking groups that have kind of a fitness focus, which I think is important because... If you just run a networking group, nobody wants to show up. It sounds boring, sounds like something that old people do, right? You have to discover networking, you have to discover making connections as a young person by having good things happen as a result and then seeing the pattern, right? So you've got these networking groups with a fitness focus that people wanna go to for multiple reasons. And I'd imagine when you grow up around a lot of negativity and danger, you know, the drug dealing, the criminal activity, one of the challenges is actually meeting people who are even interested in getting out of that situation and moving up instead of digging in and trying to become part of the problem so that they can maybe get theirs. So it seems like these networking groups that you run are doing a good job of introducing other people, kids especially, to people who who think, hey, look, I don't want to be here forever selling weed. I don't want to be here forever shoplifting for money. And you know, what's interesting about that is two things. For one, I would say that I think that people are attracted to what's attractive. For example, if I would have saw a guy like me or you, Mm -hmm. and I was younger, man, I would have jumped at the chance to connect with that guy. It's like, oh man, you have this cool show. Mm -hmm. So you just talk to people. Yeah. And you're like, Oprah, that's that's cool. Yeah. Right. You know, skinny white Oprah. (laughs) (laughs) Like that would have been really cool to me. Right. I would have automatically been drawn to you just like I was drawn to my brother, Mike. Mm -hmm. So I think that if we expose people to cool things to do, people will merge towards those. That's one. The second thing is with a networking group, such as Networking Now, the Run This Town, a fitness group that uh, myself and a couple of friends of mine created, it was really about networking out. So it's a number of professionals that range in age. People could bring their kids if they want to. And it's people that are out there with from six pack all the way up to trying off for the biggest loser mm-hmm. from grandkid to grandfather. You have a number of people that at times we would have almost 500 people out there. Wow. What do you do it out here in the riverfront? Yeah, we would do it on the riverfront. Also in the winter times, we would go indoors. Yeah, I would hope so. That'd be really cool. Now, since I do so much traveling and speaking and things of that nature, one of my partners really heads it up and continues to move it forward. And I'm more so on the board of it. But it's it's really awesome to get people to have a place to understand things. Because when I came back here from New York City, I didn't know what charity preview was. I didn't know what a barrister's ball was. Mm -hmm. I'm like, a barrister's ball? What is that? You know, I'm in law school. I don't know what a barrister's ball is. This stuff is kind of like interesting to me. Yeah. But I felt like, why did people purposely hide these things from me? 
it almost seems like a big conspiracy to keep people out because it's, it's a completely different world that you have to sort of find and immerse yourself in. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, Motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of Motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Thanks for listening and supporting the show. For a list of all the amazing sponsors and discount codes, visit theartofcharm.com slash advertisers. Now, back to Sean Blanchard. In the book, you've got a systematic approach to leveraging mentorship, and I'd love to go over this. Mentorship is a hot topic among entrepreneurs, it's a hot topic among young people who wanna get ahead. Now we're kind of seeing it from a different angle where it's a hot topic among people that don't even know they need it because they're stuck. That's right, I look at mentorship in three phases. The first phase is unconscious mentorship. When you're born into this world, you're mentored regardless by ideals, individuals, and society. Whether you're conscious of it or not, is the actual issue at hand. Right. So initially, during the first portion of my life, it was unconscious mentorship. You know, I'm not conceiving the things that are influencing me. They're just influencing me. Right. I'm not in control of it. So that's the first phase, unconscious mentorship. Mm -hmm. The second phase is when you take control, conscious mentorship. Conscious mentorship is broken down into two categories, informal and formal. Informal mentorship are all those things that are not necessarily people, uh, with the exception of, your peer group that are not just your mentors, but friends. Then you have like, what do you listen to? Who are you following on Instagram? What books do you read? What movies are you watching? What music is going into your ears all the time? Mm -hmm. So you have all these things and I have a number of them that are listed there that it's all about the things that are influencing you on a daily basis. Whether you intend for them to do that or not. That's right. Right. And when you move into a conscious realm, you can become in control of those influences. So you have the informal and then you have the formal. The formal side is broken down into three phases of mentorship because a lot of people say, oh, yeah, I'm a mentor. But what the heck does that mean? Yeah. Right? What is a relationship? Right. So those three ways that I like to break it down are examples, directors and sponsors. And you have to understand what those are in order to capture and extract the most out of the mentor relationships that you have. An example, someone you're just watching. They may not know much about you or even know you at all, but, mm -hmm. you're, but you're watching them, right? A director is someone that you can actually have lunch with somewhere. Uh, you probably have their number. They give you direction. They believe in your potential. Then you have their sponsors. The sponsors are people that you'll actually come to their homes. You'll have their numbers directly call them. And basically, they don't just believe in your potential. They believe in you. And the goal is to make sure that you can load up on informal mentorship and formal mentorship to prepare your life forward with that healthy universe. Right, so control the things that are influencing you as well as seek people out who can help you move up either at some level just by example or by actually providing guidance or even support. That's right, that's right. And I like to say that that's a phase that we'll always stay in once we get there. 
of conscious mentorship, but it's very important and imperative to move to this third phase. So you have unconscious mentorship, Mm -hmm. conscious mentorship, but the third phase of mentorship is creating consciousness in others. So you'll always continue to be very conscious of making sure that you have this in your life, but it's important for you to do it for other people. So, and that's what the third phase is in the book. And it talks about the hierarchy and the ladder of how to do that. Right. So you would then have to turn around and sort of pay it back. Absolutely. Or pay it forward, I guess. There's a statistic that says that 90% of people that are mentored turn around and become mentored. In America today, we have over 9 million young people that say that they're not being guided properly by adults. It's a huge number of kids. That's huge and sad. It's easy enough to control your influences, right? Stop listening to things that are bad. Stop following people online that are bad examples. If somebody's setting a bad example and you get wind of that or you catch that, you can sort of say, look, I want to limit my influence from this person or this idea or this group. How do you, though, reach out to the sponsorship mentors and the directors? How do you reach out and say, because I'll I'll get emails that are like, will you mentor me? And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. So (laughs) I'm going to say no, but I don't really want to say no, but I don't know what that means. How do you get someone to invest in you like that? I like to make it very simple and I call it playing catch. Now, mentorship can be driven a lot by the mentee because a lot of mentors are busy as heck, right? So if you are really conscious and really want to move life forward as a mentee, you should be taking advantage of playing catch. Playing catch is simply this. Consider yourself a dog and basically you're about to play catch with your mentor. You go over to him, you drop the ball which is basically a question. Mm-hmm. You know, the person's <laughs> looking at you like, okay, this freaking dog's here. You got a question. They'll throw the answer, right? Pick up the ball and throw it back. Yeah. They'll throw the answer. Now, it's your job as a mentee to go run, get it, bring it back and say, hey, look what I got. I did exactly what you said. Take action on what they... That's right. Yeah. And now I got another question for you. I want to ask you this. And now at this point, that mentor is like, you know what? Pick up the ball and says, hey, guys, check this out. Look yeah. at this. He's actually me, doing it. Let me introduce you to some more people that I know, because this is cool. Matter of fact, here, you can throw it. Watch what happens. Throw the information out there. You go get it. You bring it back. You have to be a very good mentee, right? So if You've you, got to put in the work. You've got to put in the work. So if you want a good mentor, you got to be an even better mentee. You got to play catch. That's great. I love the concept of playing catch because it's true. A lot of my friends who are successful entrepreneurs and things like that will get email. We almost joke about it in a sad way where someone will say, oh my gosh, how do I set something up like this? And it's like, all right, step one, decide what niche you want to be in. All right, well, I want to do this. All right, create some content based around that. Crickets. They don't get through the second hoop. Exactly. Or the first hoop. They don't bring it back. Nothing. They don't bring the ball back. That's right. And so you as the busy mentor... Is it your job now to follow up with all of these people who are asking you to mentor them? I mean, no, man, no. you got enough stuff on your plate already, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's very important for us to accept the role of mentorship and then mentor someone, but it's very important for the mentees to do their part. Tell us what you're doing now. All right, so right now, um, the uh, I created Sean Blanche Productions. I actually published a book and I do a lot of my speaking and whatnot. All around the country, I have my tour coming up. I've been speaking quite a bit over this last month since my book has been out. And uh, so far, i am sold over 3,000 copies. Congratulations. That's actually a lot of books. People online, they don't understand. Right. That's a lot yeah. of books. Because some people are like, I sold 10,000 copies. It's like, well, 3,000 copies of a book that you have published essentially yourself is a huge number of books. Right. And I mean, the bulk orders that are coming in are great. The type of sponsorships that I have for my tour that are coming up are going really great. A couple of weeks ago, in the last couple of weeks, I've been in Jet, The Source, 
Black Enterprise, all types of different magazines about what, what I'm doing right now. And I'm just really excited to push it forward as well. So that's one thing with Sean Blanche Productions. I'm also a style advisor for a custom suit company, so which is called Snap Suits. And it's awesome because it's the home of the $250 custom suit with a 14-day turnaround. Nice. It's really awesome, man. So I'm really excited about being involved with that as well. Do you ever miss the old days of either selling drugs or having easy money like that? Do you ever miss that at all in any way? Not at all, because it's still easy money. The thing is, what I like to say a lot is I've never stopped doing what I was doing. I've always been about economics. I have product. I'll sell it before it will hurt people. But today it helps people. So it's a matter of like now you can buy a book, you can buy a suit, but I'm just bettering your life with the products that I have. So I never stop. I'm still a hustler. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you want to make sure you deliver? You know what? I think it's important just to understand the concept of after I've been through all these different things growing up, things have been very interesting. It's a matter of there's people that are there, but you're not paying attention to them. So it's like you're a young person and somebody's telling you to do this, but you don't do it or you don't really care what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. They're not there, right? They're they're absolutely invisible, right? We have to be very conscious of that. So as I move forward and I really began to take a hold of mentorship, even going to Michigan and taking my younger brother there too, as soon as he got out of juvenile, I brought him to Michigan with me. So now he's at Michigan with me and I have three jobs, raising a younger brother, majoring in math and econ. It's a very interesting experience in college at that point. Understanding that we're all brothers and sisters and we all need to make sure that we give back and give a hand up not a handout to the people around us. I think it's just imperative that mentorship is taken so serious. And we understand that it's not the little kid in the corner that needs it, but the youngest billionaire of our times, Mark Zuckerberg, right, mm-hmm. was mentored by Steve Jobs. We have Bill Gates, who's mentored by Warren Buffett, and Warren Buffett, who's mentored by Bill Gates. They're friends. Mm-hmm. One's for investments, one for philanthropy. That's right. I, I forgot about that. That's a good example. And I think that it's like, so mentorship is all around us and we're never too young or too old for it. And no matter what we do, we're either going to be influenced by things that's in our control or not. Sean, thank you so much, man. This has been excellent. Really interesting episode. I mean, this is a guy who has overcome a lot and dealt with a lot and had the worst possible role models and managed to step back out of that world. But as you can see by the phone calls he got from both his brothers in prison and the city councilwoman, he still has one foot back in that world, but has managed to succeed in spite of that. In fact, I would say from what we've talked about here on the show, he succeeded in part because of what he learned when he was in that world. So no excuses. If he can do it, y'all can do it too. It's not about where you came from, it's where you're going. And if you enjoyed this one, don't forget to thank Sean on Twitter. We'll have that linked in the show notes as well as the other resources mentioned on the show, of course, including his book, which you can check out as well. It's really raw and written by him, of course. So you can tap our album art and most mobile podcast players to see the cheat sheet for this episode, and we'll link to the show notes right on your phone. I'm also on Twitter. A lot of stuff that never makes it to the show. Articles, insights, and other things like that. I'm at The Art of Charm on Twitter. Boot camps and live program details for The Art of Charm, bootcamp.theartofcharm.com. And remember, we sell out a few months in advance. So if you're thinking about it even a little bit, you should get in touch ASAP to get some info from us so you can plan ahead. I also want to encourage you to join our social capital challenge at theartofcharm.com slash challenge or text charmed to 33444. That's C-H-A-R-M-E-D to 33444. It's all about improving your networking and connection skills and inspiring those around you to develop a personal and professional relationship with you. We'll also email you our fundamentals toolbox 
box that I mentioned earlier on the show. I also do regular videos with drills and exercises to help you move forward. It'll make you a better connector. It'll make you a better networker, and it'll make you a better thinker. That's theartofcharm.com slash challenge, or text charmed in the U.S. to 33444. This episode of The Art of Charm was produced by Jason DeFilippo. Jason Sanderson is our audio engineer and editor. Show notes on the website are by Robert Fogarty. I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger. Now go ahead and tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else either in person or shared on the web. Now stay charming and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and more at theartofcharmpodcast.com.